Hey, and welcome to the Open Mic Podcast. And on today's episode, we're going to be discussing the art of sales and sales management. So for, I look at sales, and from a strong sales background myself, I look at almost all businesses, you know, they've got to increase the revenue line, that's a given. You know, but constantly pursued and chased, and you know, those sales and those lines and those customers. However, the results are not always, you know, what I would call above um, your forecast line. So... I look, when I look at companies invest a huge sums in marketing and technology and other innovative strategies um, you know, into the new business, but rarely do they retain existing business and get ahead of the competition. Um, so you know, I look at it and I think, how many are actually making surefire investments into their sales teams to maximize the processes and performance and results? After all, if you look at sales as a whole, um, that's the one that creates the revenues, whilst you know, marketing sure assists in value and building education outside of you know, things like e-commerce stores. Um, your frontline salespeople, uh, whether building rapport, uh, they are actually the ones, my old non-exec from um, uh, when I was in the PLC publicly traded company, they used to have a non-exec called Bill McGraw, and he always used to say, you know, salespeople make paydays happen. Now, you'll have a bit of a different view, and if you want to open a debate on sales, you can use the hashtag TheOpenMic, and uh, you can use that on our favorite channels, such as Instagram and Twitter, and we'll get those answered for you. So... Just before I introduce today's guest, I just want to sort of recall, I remember hearing Zig Ziglar uh, years and years and years ago talk about sales as the proud profession. And that always resonated with me. And I repeat that, the proud profession. You know, we're not pests, you know, and things like that. Uh, and it's certainly been relative to my own sales career that, you know, sales is a profession with professional salespeople. Uh, we need to be studied, practiced, and your skills honed to make sure you're absolutely delivering the best. So in today's episode of the Open Mic Podcast, um, we're going to cover the key aspects of sales and sales management, plus much, much more. And I, I, I suppose the intro, I'm so privileged uh, to be joined today by what I can only describe as one of the world's leading sales experts. And that is not an understatement or overhype. Uh, he's, Skip's also a personal hero of mine. And I'm a student of his work through proactive selling, selling advantage, uh, selling above and below the line. Um, and I can honestly say on recording that uh, adopting Skip's techniques has added in excess of 10 million pounds worth of sales revenue to my businesses uh, over recent years. So translating that for our American audience is about $40 million. Um, so it, it's a real grateful and warm welcome to Skip Miller from M3 Learning uh, for joining us today out of his extremely busy schedule. So thanks for taking the time for joining us, Skip. It's great to have you on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, and I've become a fan of your show as well. I've heard, you know, quite a good things about it. So, uh, uh, happy to try to add, you know, some small pieces of advice to your to your listenership. Oh, I really appreciate it, Skip. And for those who, um, you know, I'm sure most of you uh, in sales and in business have heard of Skip Miller in the sales uh, arena and M3 Learning and the work that he does works with some really major companies. I'll let Skip talk about those as I uh, sort of pass over. But I just want to give you a quick frame backdrop, as I always do on the open mic, um, just to sort of give you a little bit more sort of background. Uh, as the founder and president of M3 Learning, uh, proactive um, selling, which is the trademark uh, sort of solution, um, you know, it is a high definition focus on the tactics of selling and proactive sales cycle control. So Skip's also the author of the runaway bestseller, Proactive Sales Management, ranked number one by Amazon for five consecutive years. It's been translated into multiple languages worldwide and has become a classic textbook for all sales managers, both new and seasoned alike. 
Um, Skip has uh, based out of the uh, the uh, heart of Silicon Valley in San Francisco, or just south of San Francisco. Um, and he's also the author of the best-selling books, Proactive Selling, which, as I say, for those watching on YouTube or the blog, this is my old battered book. With all the folded pages, Skip, with all the page margin notes that I've written all over, I apologize. I know you should say you never do Facebook, but I was so much but I'm you know, scribbling like man. Um, and he's also knock yourselves off prospecting, uh, the ultimate sales toolkit, proactive sales management, and more proactive sales management. And his latest book, if you don't already have it, whether it's on Audible, uh, you can certainly get it on Audible for a listen as well, is Selling Above uh, and Below the Line, which is the um, ATL and BTL strategies that no doubt Skip will reference as we go through. And it's being released in major acclaim. So Skip, I hope that's a, a fairly accurate sort of uh, bio, but what I'd love for you to do in your own words, um, you know, as I say, uh, just for me, I think this is, I'm taking liberties here because as a personal hero and stu a student of yours, I just really love you to sort of give me that sort of mini background, the highs and lows of your journey to date. I know it's been filled with highs and lows, and I think it'd just be great for the audience before we get started onto the questions for you just to sort of fill in some of those blanks and just fill that out a little bit. And obviously the European connections that you have, um, you know, for the UK audience as well. Sure, happy to. You know, um, I started in sales and I uh, got involved in high-tech sales pretty early, right out of school. Um, I think the, one of the first or second years, I was the number one salesperson in my company. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> the next year, I finished near the bottom. Thank you very much. Because uh, I thought I was really good. So I stopped doing the basics. I stopped prospecting. I stopped calling high. I just, I, I got lazy. And I finished pretty low that next year. But the year after, I made my quota by June. Um, and moved out to California where I became a sales manager, a, you know, a VP of sales and president of a couple of companies and um, always making sure I had the customer's chair in mind, always making sure that uh, sales is not uh, a push thing. Uh, you can't make somebody buy. Uh, all you can do is help them make a buy decision. So as you had mentioned earlier, it's a very integrative sport we've had here. It's not about knocking the competition or throwing landmines out there. It's all about what's the customer want to do, helping them with their change. And, you know, I left uh, uh, my last job when they wanted me to move to the East Coast. And I'm, I'm born and raised in Ohio, so I really didn't want to go back to the East Coast. I like California. So I started my own company about 20 years ago. And, and being in the heart of Silicon Valley, you know, we've seen the, the waves, right? You know, the first were the big, huge companies, the Cisco's, the WebEx's, and, yeah. and so on. And then recently in the last 10 years, what we do is we really start with small companies, you know, five, 10, 20 million in revenue and kind of watch them grow. We started working with Tableau and they had 24 salespeople. They now have over 2000, um, you know, working a little bit with Google, we're working a little bit with small companies who are like, you know, up and coming, trying to get to a hundred some odd million. Uh, we did that with Infusionsoft. You know, they had 15, 20 salespeople as they were trying to go on their journey to a hundred million. So, that's kind of our expertise, so I can relate to your audience. You know, we, you know, working with big, big companies, you know, six, ten billion dollar companies, uh, not our sweet spot. You know, yeah. I, I'd rather get into small, medium-sized companies where we can make a difference in their sales and their sales management area. So yeah. that's what we got to do. Absolutely, that's fantastic, and thanks, Skip. I really appreciate you sharing that and that sort of clarification. Um, you know, and, you know, we have listeners across the board, people who are just sort of getting started in business or started in sales, you know, and then the more seasoned sales pros. So this podcast is going to be packed with value to power, uh, with power to boost your performance. And if you want to learn more about what Skip and M3 Learning is doing, you can head over to M3 Learning, that's M for Mike, and then number three, learning.com. 
Uh, you can check out Skip on LinkedIn as well. Just search Skip Miller, S-K-I-P, and then Miller. Um, and then, as I say, I'm sure if there's any questions, I know Skip's active on LinkedIn. You see him commenting on things, and especially about the trains that we're going to talk about later on. I love that example. Um, but uh, I'm sure you'd be happy to answer any questions for people if they want to connect with you and shoot messages on LinkedIn. Or, or would you prefer it to come through on an email on the website, Skip? What's the best way people can get in touch with M3Learning? Yeah, Skip at M3Learning.com. I mean, yeah. you can go on LinkedIn, but you know, just you know, Skip at M3Learning.com. I probably get you know five or ten a day, and I try to respond as, as quickly as possible. So happy to help. Oh, I really appreciate, it. and that is an absolute gold invitation. So please, for the listeners, don't waste Skip's time. If it's serious questions, and I know there may be some obvious questions for the learners out there, but you know, if you're serious about it and you've got a strong question, Skip at m3learning.com is the email to use, or you can connect with them on LinkedIn. So let's buckle up as we dig deep into Skip's tried and trusted knowledge around sales and self management, and let's get started. So Skip. As I say, being through all your work, I'm, um, I, I should refresh it a little bit more and do a little bit more. Uh, I remember dealing with your colleague, uh, Amanda uh, Ambrose, uh, about getting set up with selling advantage and proactive and things like that all the day. And I was nervous because I was going to make this investment online. And I'm thinking, you know, I know this guy and I know he's good, but I, is it right or is it not for me and things like that. So getting started, when people wanted to get involved with sales coaching and sales coaching specifically, why is this so important for companies to invest into? Hmm. Um, two plus two cannot equal four. Yeah. Um, if you're going to make any investment in companies in, in your marketing department, your products, you, you got to make two plus two equal 13 and a half. So <laughs> if you're going to hire a great manager, a great coach, they're going to leverage your two, three, four, 10, 15 salespeople because the salespeople will do whatever that manager's culture is. Yeah. So what we find, I mean, well, I'll go into a new company and Within the first 20 minutes, I could tell you the sales culture of the company just by talking to first-line managers. Yeah. And uh, we, we did work a while ago with a company that had 50 managers. And the problem the company faced was they were losing salespeople at a 31% annual churn. Wow. And, and the problem was, when you dug into it, great salespeople by year two or three want to spread their wings. Yeah. And the managers were so busy taking over sales calls that the top salespeople got frustrated and left. So we had to train these people that the job of the manager is not to take over sales call at the end of the sale. The job of the sales manager is to coach their people. Yeah. Because we ask managers, right? You know, do you learn more from your losses and your victories? And, and they'll say, of course, you learn more from your losses. So then the question obviously is, what are you doing to encourage failure within your team? If that's <laughs> where they're going to learn the most. So, I mean, you, at, the, at the finish line, you're not going to screw up a deal, but you got to let the, the sales rep explore and, and test boundaries. So it, coaching is everything if you're going to create leverage in the organization. Yeah, brilliant. And just, just a quick reference, we uh, follow a lot of Dan Tyre stuff at the HubSpot sort of uh, involved, you know, and, and obviously, you know, in the HubSpot community. Um, and they always talk about, are you coachable? Are you coachable? And, you know, getting that in. And, and, and I don't know what you, your view is, and I'm not saying Dan's right, you're right, or anybody, but just a debate here, Skip, and as a personal question to answer and help me, um, they talk about allocating one day a week, uh, you know, to make sure you coach, you know, depending on the number of people you're managing, of course, but at least one day a week hiring new people, even if you're not hiring, and one day a week coaching people out of your sales management role. I don't know, is that a fair balance? Do you think it's more or less, or does it depend on different companies? I don't know if I'd spend a whole day, but eight hours in a week. Yeah. If you're not, you're, the, 
great salespeople really keep moving up the chain. Yeah. And the problem with managers with their C players is, you know, it's better than nothing. Well, yeah. no, nothing's better. So <laughs> you don't want to get rid of your C players either up or out because you have no bench strength. Yeah. The best managers I've seen are constantly interviewing, not that they're anxious to replace C players, but I mean, there's nothing worse than having one player less on the team. The quota doesn't go away. Yeah, so everybody's got to pick it up. So, you know, we tell people if you're going to take corrective action on an employee, all right, and you've got an open head count, 45 days. 45 days from when the open rec is open to hire. And if it takes longer than 45 days, the sales managers at fault because they weren't working on their bench. So I agree entirely with really focusing on constantly looking to improve the, the bench. And we've got a number of companies that we train their up and coming sales people who want to be managers yep. just on, you know, getting ready to be a bench. Because being a salesperson and a sales manager is a different job. Absolutely massive. So I fully agree that, you know, you should spend time on hiring open headcount. And you bring up an interesting point on a day on coaching. Yeah. Let, let, let's take a look at the sales management process, right? Or the sales process. Stage Absolutely. one, two, three, four, five, how many stages you want to. I'll be in a room with 100 sales managers. And I'll say along the path, you know, the intro, middle, the end of the sale, where will you do the most coaching? Right. And everybody says, of course, stage four or five, bringing the deals across the finish line. Well, then the question is, where should you do the coaching? Yeah. And they say, well, earlier, of course. But the problem is managers don't know what to say there. So here's right. my interpretation of a manager at stage two of a sale coaching. How's it going? Good. Need anything? No. Call me if you need me. Okay. <laughs> and they call that coaching. Yeah. But it, there's got to be more to it. So it's just not way to go. That's kind of motivational stuff that has no impact. Managers need to know how to coach earlier. And that's a taught process. It's not something you pick up on the fly. No, it is. And ultimately, I think when you split the breakdown of intro, qualification, pitch and close, you know, it's the majority is in that qualification where the sales won or lost. So it's as early as possible in that segment. Absolutely brilliant. And I really appreciate you sharing that skip for us. So I think as we move forward to sort of the next point is the importance of pipeline control and forecasting. You mentioned earlier about deal stages and, you know, when we look at the bias process in selling advantage, initiate, educate, validate, justify, decide. And just for the audience listening or watching on the, on the channels, that's the, the sort of stage that Skip takes you through on the uh, selling advantage course and the proactive selling. Um, but if we look at the importance of pipeline control and forecasting, Skip, could you just sort of share with your wisdom and, your, and, your, and some tips around that, please? I'll go to a vice president of sales anywhere in the world. And I'll say for the next quarter, you've got a hundred deals in your funnel, 10 deals, a hundred, whatever. At the end of the quarter and in 90 days of those hundred, how many came in? Yeah. And the answer is usually less than half. Yeah. So, I mean, you get better odds in Las Vegas. I mean, just <laughs> so let's get into pipeline control, right? How much pipeline fudge do you want? right? 2x, 3x. So let's just say a typical manager says, I want 2x funnel, 3x funnel. Well, if you have 3x funnel, you have your sales team working on two thirds of stuff that's never going to come in. Yeah. And what, so where's the sales productivity there? Yeah, so lack of efficiency, the, isn't it? Yeah, the whole concept of having 3x funnel, 4x funnel is stupid because you're not doing a good job of qualifying early. Yeah. So if you want to really have a better, we've got customers who have a 90%
forecast accuracy. Wow. And they do it because they're very good at working earlier with the client to qualify them. This is not a, hi, what are your needs? Let's do a demo. I'll send you a proposal and then harass, right? That's, that's, you know, that's not how you sell. You yeah, sell. Most of them go quiet on you, don't they? And you can never get hold of them. No. So, yeah. So why don't we do a better job? Well, I'm lucky to get them. And if I show them our stuff, they'll really get wild. Stop. <laughs> we got to do a better job really in the process to qualify or disqualify. You, you mentioned proactive selling. Yeah. Uh, the, the book you showed me earlier is the second edition. Yeah. Um, my publisher came to me and said, we'd like a second edition, which I said, fine, what do you do? You change some things up, you know, maybe change a few pictures. So uh, that's what I did. Well, I sent it in and about a day or two later, they called me back and they said, Skip, didn't you read your contract? And I said, no. And they said, well, you, cha- you promised to change 25% of the book. I'm like, well, that's like a lot. <laughs> so I had to come up with some new ideas. And the one idea I came up with was Qualify and disqualify definitions. Yeah. Qualify, as you all know, are the things you do, the questions you ask to try to keep a deal in the funnel. Yeah. Disqualify are the things you do, the questions you ask to try to kick a deal out of the funnel. Yeah. And I think disqualify is kind of more important than qualify. But the problem is we don't like the answer. When the, when the guy says, I'm not qualified, we're like, oh, no, 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 really, I was just kidding. Let, let me show you another demo. No. Let, you know, we have a tool within Proactive Selling, as you all know, called homework assignments. Yep. You know, a little, here's the three things we're going to talk about tomorrow. Please circle star highlight the two or three things you want to talk about so we can maximize your time. If they don't respond to the email, I don't think it's a qualified client. Absolutely. Yeah, and there's a number of homework assignments in the book. But, guys, if you really want to focus on pipeline control and forecasting accuracy, as you mentioned, you got to do it earlier because two 3X funnel multipliers are just putting – when we do a program – I promise the VP and the president of the companies that we're dealing with that when we're done, 30% of your funnel is going away. Yeah. Because it's smoke. It's not qualified. It's, it's, it's not real, is it? It's no. Not it's not real. Absolutely. So, That's so yeah. So, and, but let's make sure we qualify from the customer standpoint on actions. You know, they're, they're within our wheelhouse. They're the right size in the right industry. I mean, I got it. But really, let's make sure we're focusing on customer actions that they are having energy being applied to the sale because yeah. if they're not applying energy, the, the deal's not going to go over the hill. Absolutely. And I think what I like about it is the disqualifying. I know you talk about, you know, a, a no is better than a maybe because maybes kill yourself, <laughs> you know, uh, and things like that. And when I speak to people and I try and take some of the things I learn and say and, 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 and teach it in, into our sort of business, um, and, and the people I'll say, and, you know, my salespeople will say, yeah, Mike, but he, he's on the fence. I'll say, he should never be on the fence. You know, the buyer's always neutral. You know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, they get him out. You know, I'd rather have a no than a maybe. Maybe it's going to kill you. Maybe it's going to kill you. You know, and they don't get it until they read it and they go through, and then they get it. You know, and it's like, exactly. you know, maybe's feel comfortable. They're like an insurance policy. Yeah. But I'd rather have a yes or a no. That's it. And I, and I get it all the way. So that's awesome. Thanks for that. 
So as, I suppose that blends nicely into what we call stage management um, and how that works here. I'd love to take your view on it for the audience. And, and again, if you're following on, if you're listening on iTunes, you're listening on Apple or Stitcher or anything like that, watching the blog on YouTube or on our website, blog.thesuccesshub.io, if you want to watch the video interview of this, if you're listening to it in the car. Um, we're going to put some uh, resources and some links to skip stuff as well on there. Um, but ultimately, um, what I'd like to do is um, get you just to define a little bit more what you mean, maybe for the earliest type sales guys, Skip, about what you mean by stage management and how that works. Buyers buy in a process. Yeah. And the first thing buyers do is have to have an initial interest. Yep. If that interest is high enough, they want to get educated. Then buyers want to take ownership of the solution. They want to figure out how they're going to use it. And then they want some options and then they want to make a decision. So yes. I don't care if it's one call, five calls, 10, I mean, the size of the order is going to determine how long a deal takes. But if we're not managing how a buyer is going through their buy process, then we're just doing a great job of showing up, throwing up and, and hoping that they make a decision. So why doesn't managers and sales reps manage? So years ago, I, I was working in, in, in technology and I, I was in a slump. And I figured out one step at a time is what I should do with the buyer. So I, I, was, I was on a sales call and I said, okay, guys, what are we gonna do first here? And then about a week later, I came back to the customer and said, what do I wanna do second? And we just walked through their buy process together, which basically is the, the foundation of proactive selling. And it kind of like, it was like a, a duh, buyers have to go through their phases. And I mean, if I buy a new set of golf clubs or a new, the first thing I do is I, you know, I gotta have an interest. And there's a reason that, that I need to make a change. Then I'm gonna open up and look at all the different golf club manufacturers. Then I'm gonna you know, practice my swing. Then I'm gonna look at the prices. I mean, I could do that in one visit to the golf shop or five. Oh, but you, managers, deal management, in my opinion, is dead. Yeah. Because you know, is the deal coming in is determined about all the stuff that was done you know, in the last couple of days or weeks of the sales. So why don't we manage to the stages, whatever they may be, but those stages better be buyer stages in the industries your customers you know, are in, not here's our sales process stages. That, that's just not taking advantage of the buy process. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, and what I would like to just sort of cover from, and this is how I understood it and interpreted it, Skip, when I went through all this stuff is that the first thing that I would do is normally before working with Skip was to say, hey, let me build out my sales process. But actually now I actually build out my bias process and then I align my sales process to the bias process so I can then put yep. the content on the stage and all the timing of it based on how far it does. So if you're still out there as a listener, you're trying to get your sales department restructured, of course, I would highly recommend you head over to m3learning.com and, and check out some of the programs that Skip can do. You don't have to be in the States. Uh, there's online programs that you can do. Obviously, the books product you're selling and selling above and below the line of tool that I would say is a must in everybody's library. Um, but, but ultimately... Think about your buyer, walk that journey, walk a mile in their shoes, and then ultimately start to say, hey, how can I influence that? Because obviously, Skip, with the internet coming along, well, not coming along, but being dominant now, people are so further far down the funnel, aren't they, before they even maybe get in touch with the sales pro these days? Yeah, last time I, I saw buyers are 50 to 60% of through their journey before they contact a vendor. Yeah. So at that point, as a salesperson, you have to make a choice. If they're really doing a good job at the 50, 60, continue on the path. If they're turning right or turning left where they really shouldn't be, you have to go back and help them start the journey again. Yeah. But don't ignore that buyers do a lot of homework before they actually contact the vendor. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't care significantly. 
awareness. I don't care if it's a cold call or not. Don't assume that that cold call, you start from zero. That's a bad assumption. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I started in BMW in 1993 in sales in the UK as a modern apprentice in BMW selling cars. Uh, and we had a controlled sales environment. Um, and, um, you know, we, we had a limited amount of supply. BMW in the UK then was limited amount of cars, franchise territory areas were very different than it is today. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, there was no internet. Uh, we didn't have a computer on his desk. We had a phone and a file of fax, uh, you know, and we had to get out there and make it happen. Um, and when a customer came to our showroom or made a call, they didn't go rough idea what the BMW product range was, you know, I'm going back, what, 25 years now. Uh, and, but, you know, they were, we, they were so reliant on us as salespeople to sort of say, hey, does this model have this? Or, you know, could we get a brochure? Because they couldn't download it off the internet because the internet didn't exist publicly. There you go. In 93. So they had to, and we were so reliant. And, and I don't know what that split is. And, if, you know, for the audience, if there's anybody out there who's ex-BMW in the network out of 90s, shoot me a message. I'd love to sort of reconnect with you. But, <laughs> but, but ultimately, um, you know, they'd come into the showroom or they'd call up and say, hey, I've heard a three series or a five series or a six series or a seven series. You know, we still got the left-hand drive M3 BMW then because it was still left-hand drive in the UK uh, for, the, uh, for the M3 model then. Um, and, and really, really difficult. And there's no information. So they hadn't the relied on the salesperson is what I'm saying. Now, and what Skip's saying is that being 50, 60% down the funnel, um, ultimately, they probably know as much about your product, if not more, because they've looked at your vendor, other vendors and other products, and they're probably more aware of your competition than you are because they've checked them out. So you've got to be aware of it. So that deal stage management, align your process through to the buyer stages um, and get real with it and get aligned. And again, you can learn all this stuff in the proactive selling and selling advantage program. So I highly recommend you check those out. So thanks for clarifying uh, that skip for us. Now, here's what I want to preamble. And when I first saw this in your work, I thought, wow, you know, and even though I'd been in sales 17 years or so, maybe more, 18 years ago, I was always fearful about calling high. And what we mean by calling high is, calling in the C-suite and calling as high as you possibly can. I thought, no, I've got to get in low, build up my influencer, use the influencer connections. And then Skip sort of introduced this strategy about calling high in the organization. And uh, I was always nervous about it to start with. And I never got it right when I started doing it initially. But once I've got the tactics right and the strategies right, it made a whole, whole host of difference. So Skip, I know I've preambled it a little bit, but what I'd like you to do is, why is it so important in your own words to call high in the organization? It's a great question. And I'm definitely on a mission since the last book, Selling Above and Below the Line. And below the line would be the user buyer, the above the line, the fiscal buyer. I mean, however you want to phrase that out. Yeah, um, I saw it as product features. Uh, I right. saw it as product features. And then, um, you know, we'd got the, uh, you know, the, the, the financial and the ROI and market share share above the line. Yeah. Exactly right. And it's not the ROI on the purchase being made. It's the ROI on the initiatives where they have gaps. But more on that later. Um, I am on a mission to destroy the concept decision maker because right. I think there's two. I think the one is below the line. That's very important. They're responsible for making whatever is being purchased work. Yeah. And then there's the above the line buyer who says, you know, I got a $30 million problem. And you're telling me if I invest 50,000 that I'll make a dent in the $30 million problem. That's not going to solve the 30 million, but it'll make a dent in it. Yeah. And we, and as you all know, we call those hunting for trains yeah. and trains are the initiatives. And if you can make a dent in two or three of my initiatives. So in our classroom, um, we try to make a distinction between below and above the line. 
And the way we do it is I ask people, how many people have got brothers and sisters? And everybody kind of raises their hand. Yeah. And we say, all right, let me ask you a question. Are you like me where like on the holidays, we have all our brothers and sisters and cousins and we, there's so many people that come over. We end up with two tables. We have the kid table and the adult table. Yeah. And the kid tables love it because they get to talk kid talk. And the adults love it because they don't have to talk kid talk. <laughs> so it's two different languages. And the concept is, guys, when you're at your company, you get trained in below the line stuff, features, benefits, competitive landscape. And then we go talk to below the line people because those are typically the ones that call in for a lead or you know, the manager of this you know, function and stuff and so on. And we do a really good job at kid talk. We get so good at it. We develop success patterns, you know, certain slides, certain scripts we use. So then when we're, we go to the executive suite, we start doing an executive overview of kid talk and the above the line buyer is like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, go, great. Go, yeah, great. Go back and talk to the kid talk. So yeah. we've got to teach more business acumen to our sales teams. And I don't see companies doing it. The marketing department's not, they get paid on giving product brochures and value yeah. propositions. So if we're not speaking to the adult table early in the process, you are bound to stay below the line because that person loves talking about us. We love talking about us. We're all talking about us. And then you and lose the ballot. Yeah. And in my opinion, I constantly hear, how do you get more sense of urgency in a deal? Well, energy is typically above the line. So if I'm the above the line buyer and I got a problem, I want to fix it because if it ain't broke, I ain't fixing it. Well, guess what? Something broke. What broke? What broke so that the above the line buyer, let's call that person Mary, yeah. has given the below the line buyer, Bob, a budget. So here's 50 grand. Go find a problem solve to help me solve my problem that I've got a 30 million pound, 30 million euro, 30 million dollar problem yeah. and help me make a dent in my problem. Well, without that energy, Bob is kicking tires Absolutely. and he hasn't got a budget yet and all that kind of stuff. So we got to do it early. So in my opinion, the best salespeople hunt for both value propositions early in the deal. Yeah. Below the line, is it a product fit, service fit? And above the line, is there initiatives that have gaps that is causing the above the line buyer to say, we, we got to make a change. Yeah. And if you do that early, I, I think your pipeline and forecast accuracy is going to massively improve. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, in the above the line, selling above and below the line book that Skip does, there's a great example of this in a bit more flushed out detail that uses the kids table and the adult table, Skip. But it also talks about the guy who wants to buy a new truck for his business. I think it's the watch, is it watch company? Um, and the guy, in, and then, you know, he talks about, hey, you know, it's got to fit down the alley and, and the, uh, the door. The big red door, the big red door company. Yeah, that's it. And, and, and I get that there. But ultimately, there's a little statement in there where, the sales guy, there's some examples, and, and the sales guy sort of says, uh, you know, he's, he's contacted the truck vendor for a lease or a budget or whatever, and the guy's coming down to do the demo with with a below-the-line sort of buyer of this. To, so does, it, does it get all the watches in? Is it big enough? Can we get them expedite all the goods out there? You know, what's the maintenance cost of it? Will it fit into the telematics and the, and the, and the systems and all that? And this is what he's focused on. So he goes and knocks on, like, the C-level suite and says, hey, I've got a demo for this truck coming in tomorrow. Do you want to come down and see it? And, like, there's, there's like, a phrase in there, Skip, that says something, and I get it's a while since I've read it, but 
so correct me if I'm wrong, but like the C-suite guys going like, no, and like, God, I'm glad I got out of that one because it's, you know, the salesman's focused on demos to the, to the below the line buyer and he's not focused on, you know, how this truck can deliver more goods, you know, meet the, I think it was peak periods on, um, yep. Uh, like, yep. Black Friday or Christmas specials uh, and how it can then get a return out of the budget and you know the, it's got to make more profit than the cost of the investment and things like that so it's about market share Skip just answer me this question uh, I think I've got it but when I first started looking at it I always used to see the Russians Greeks and Spaniards um, um, and uh, you know so do, do you still teach that as a current or are you, are you moving more to above and below it's funny you mentioned that so yeah. I was in a class years ago talking about different value propositions. And I said, you've got managers, VPs, and C-suites. Yeah. Uh, you've got, you know, user buyer, fiscal buyer, technical buyer, t too many buyers. Yeah. So, so one day I said, let's just call them names. We'll talk to the user buyer is Spaniards, the, the vice presidents, the people who run the line of business, VP marketing, VP sales, VP production as the Russians. And then the C level we'll call Greeks. Yeah. So if you have three Spaniards and a Russian, what language should you speak? And the answer is, of course, Russian, yeah. because as soon as you start speaking Spanish, the Russian goes, why am I here? Yeah. Well, wasting my time. Non-public companies really like that a lot, right? Yeah. Spanish, Russian, Greek. Then we started getting questioned. Why are the Spaniards on the bottom? Why are the Russians working for the Greeks? They're broke. And so we've, it's very non-Googleish. So Google yeah. kind of said, we can't introduce Spanish, Russian, Greek. We just <laughs> came up with above and below the line. So yeah. my heart is Spanish, Russian, Greek. It's a great analogy it about is. making sure you speak Russian to Russians and Greeks to Greeks. Yeah. Greeks love speaking Russian. Gets them back in the business, they get to play. Yeah. Russians hate speaking Spanish. Yeah. They spent a long time trying to get out of there and now that they're speaking Russian, they don't want to go back. They want to yeah. delegate stuff. So my heart definitely is Spanish, Russian, Greek, but Politically correct, we now are above and below the line. I have it on my wall. You can't see it here on the green <laughs> side, but uh, I've got it when, it when we talk about language. And I've actually got uh, Russians, uh, Greeks, and Spaniards physically. I'll take a picture of it, and I'll send it to you on email. Please so do. Physically see it. Uh, and we'll, we'll get that up there and because we physically I just love that mentality so much you know and that, that you know and, and, and just to be clear um, we you know there's, there's no um, you know disrespectful statements there it's no just, but, but, the, but the concept is if you're a sales manager you should really do a good job of learning how to speak Russian yep and the best way to hang out, best way to speak Russian is hanging out with Russians absolutely so find out what's really important to them so if I'm a salesperson and I'm going to bring my manager on a call. My manager is really adept at speaking Russian yeah. rather than super Spanish. So yeah. if you're a manager, really find out, you know, what kind of, what kind of initiatives in the fourth quarter of 2018 are important to Russians. You know, yeah. as 19 comes around, if you're the VP of marketing, just Google what keeps a VP of marketing awake at 2019, yeah. right? And start learning this Russian speak. So when a salesperson brings you on a sales call, you're not saying the same thing a salesperson can say. I mean, that's not your job. Your job is to be brought into the accounts to speak Russian so that the salesperson can learn through you how to acquire that vocabulary. Which just uh, goes back to coaching, but I suppose coaching on the job, I suppose, to a degree. The learning is the play on there, aren't they? You know, I don't want to go on a sales call and take over a salesperson's call because that's their job. And yeah. if I have to take over a salesperson's call, they're not doing their job. I'm a crutch. And I can't, if I have eight people working for me, do eight closing calls. That's so true. teach your rep how to close. And why don't you go learn to speak Russian? Because if you speak Russian, if you really do a good job calling high, two things will happen. 
One, your sales cycles will shorten. And two, your average sales price will increase because you'll apply yourself to multiple trains, multiple initiatives, and the buyers will find more money. So yeah. increase ASP, shorten sales cycles if the managers do a good job of learning Russian. And just for, that's awesome, Skip, thanks. And just for the listeners, I mentioned trains right out of the gate. You've mentioned it a couple of times. Uh, we've not got it, we're slightly off script here, but um, just give us your view. When, when you talk trains, I've seen you comment on LinkedIn about trains, and I always try and comment on those because I, I get it and it just clicks straight away for me. But just for the audience, if they've not come across it, and if you haven't picked you know, the books up yet, you can get all this information there. But just in your own words, Skip, uh, just explain what you mean when you say go hunting for trains and things like that. So on m3learning.com, we've got a little YouTube link. If you hit that, there's like 20 free videos. And in one of the free videos, it was like six in the morning and I'm at Paddington train station, taking the train to Heathrow to catch a plane to Singapore. Yeah. So I'm like, is this perfect or what? So the concept is if I'm a vice president of marketing, sales, production, whatever, I've got initiatives. And those initiatives, I promised my boss that I'll come in through the quarter or for the year. Well, those initiatives kind of get confusing. So we just call them trains in the train station. So. If you play the analogy out, if I'm the VP of marketing, I've got three, four or five trains in the station. They're in the station for a reason, because they're broke or they're not complete. I want them to get out there and start making me money because new trains are becoming in next quarter. Yep. So if you're gonna knock on the door of a Russian and say, hi, what keeps you awake at night? I mean, I got it. But you know, what initiatives are you working on where you have gaps? Yep. When I make a sales call, my entire first person, first point of when I'm at a higher level above the line is to identify trains and identify gaps. Yeah. Hunt for trains, identify gaps. And if I can find two or three trains and two or three gaps that I affect none of them, I think it's a good sales call because those <laughs> trains will leave the station, new trains will come in. But if you know, identifying trains in the train station that analogy for some reason fits now and everybody talks about hunting for trains. So, yeah, and, and if you've got a really important deal and you know a train, I think you're at risk because now you're single threaded. You know, I'd rather, when I go into a big company, right? You know, why are you looking to bring in sales training? All right, I want to ramp faster. Okay, I want managers to coach better. Okay, I want us to make sure we shorten our sales cycle. Okay. I want to do uh, better compensation programs. Well, I don't, I don't affect that trade. We don't do comp compensation consulting, yeah. but I can make a dent in the other three. Yeah. Well, look at the ROI now because I'm multi-threaded rather than just on one train. Absolutely. So it's a great little metaphor. And I think and you're making yourself more valuable by being able to deliver on those multiple threads as well. Well, so. think about it. You're, you're talking to Bob, the conductor on track one. Yeah. He doesn't know anything about other trains. No. So now this is the reason they're buying. Boy, I think you're running a risk. Early in the process, if you're gonna go above the line to talk to that Russian, that vice president, make sure that your, your job is to hunt for multiple trains. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. And again, if you want to shoot us a message on using the hashtag, the open mic, we can get any questions answered for you on that. So that's great, Skip. I really appreciate it. And as we start to wrap up, I've just really, you mentioned a couple of times the sales cycle. So let's expand more and specifically about sales cycle control. Um, if you could just sort of, sort of help the sort of listeners with that, Skip, that would be awesome. Well, it's really simple, right? There, there's three parts to a sales call. Let's, let's, let's take it Mike, very small and talk about a sales call. There's the intro, the middle, and the end, all right? Most it's like the old three-part play technique. Exactly right. So most salespeople plan a meeting with, okay, what do I want to say? 
how do I introduce it? And then we'll figure out at the end what we're gonna say. So most salespeople plan for a call two, one, three. The middle, the intro, then the end. Yeah. Great salespeople plan three, one, two. Before yeah. the call goes off, you should be asking yourself, if this call goes well, what's the outcome I want? What's yeah. the next step? What's the next, next step we want? Yeah. Because I guarantee you, if you spend time on saying, if the call goes well, what's our next step? What you say during the call is going to change. It happens to me all the time. So, you know, somebody will say, Skip, we want you to talk to this vice president. Fine, what do you want me to say? Well, stop, stop, stop. What's the outcome we want? Because if that's the outcome, why wouldn't I say this or that? So sales cycle control from uh, individual call basis, I think controls how you start the call and how you end it. What, what you say in the middle is, I, I really don't care. Yes. No, sales cycle control, you should always have identified what you want next and theoretically what you want next, next. We call that being intentional and directional. Yep. And most salespeople sit back and go, if the call goes well, we'll figure out at the end what our next step is. No. And that's reactive. So yeah. always think of what those next, next steps are, you know, that buy sales cycle. So sales cycle control says, before I go on a call, I've figured out potential options I want that next step to do. Now, things may change during the call, but at least I have intent and direction, which is lacking in most sales organizations. Yeah, absolutely. And it's no different to building a house, Skip, is it? You know, you get an architect to draw the plans, you get somebody to put the foundation in, and then you get somebody to put the shell up and the roof on. You know, you're building off a blueprint, and that's what you're saying. You know, you plan your, plan your sales course, plan your sales strategy, and then, you know, you don't just book the builders and just come and start building bricks, you know, loosely and hope it's going to be square. You know, and, and I love to strategize, and strategy precedes everything to everything, and, uh, you know, and plan it, and what do I want? You know, my time's valuable, so if you're out there on sales and just not being respectful of your time, I think that's just... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure Skip agrees um, that you know investing the right amount of time and the right amount of prospects is going to get you the best possible results. So we just respectfully your time, we, uh, you know, and, and know your worth. We just did a house remodel, and I, I went kicking and screaming, paying an architect money. I'm like, <laughs> we'll figure it out. Why do I have to pay an architect money? Boy, am I so glad we did that because so many times we said, let's go back to the plan. Yeah. And we're like, if the architect said this works, let's stay with it. And then the result was gorgeous because the architect is a paid professional in that area. That's it's the same thing here. If you wanna be a paid profession in the art of sales, you wanna think of what direction you wanna sale to go through and work yeah. with your client, not at, with your yeah. client. If you read the book, you all know buyers wanna be led. Yeah. But buyers wanna be led through a buy cycle, not a sales cycle. Correct. And nobody wants to be sold to. No, no, because nobody wants to be closed either. <laughs> yeah. But the bottom line is, Salespeople need to map out what they want as their direction, thinking one or two steps ahead so that the buyer feels comfortable saying, you know, I'll follow your lead because those are the great sales. Yeah, and I know we're slightly off script, and I'm really conscious of time skip, so I'm just going to cover this, though. But this is super important. One of the biggest things that helped me, uh, the biggest thing that I took out of it, you know, the, to, uh, the forward towards away language, you know, the three levels of why in the Cadillac story, by the way, I use all the time. 
all the, I've actually had one person in tears talking about that. And, and I've, 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 I've <laughs> the, the Cadillac on the three levels of Y, uh, and anybody in my, all my clients who listen to this will all be laughing there saying, Mike always uses, the, I have to put Mercedes in for the UK because I don't always get the Cadillac. But, uh, but I use that. But the biggest thing, Skip, that I, and, I, and if I can just ask you this one more question, please. The biggest thing that made the difference that where my sales counter kept going up and up and up and up is when I understood the transfer of ownership and how that come around uh, and we're to listen for transfer of ownership where and, and, and I, I suppose it was always there all oh, the more interested now but it was the science about the transfer of ownership and that and I just wonder if you could share that with me Skip you know how that works and, 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 and just, a, just a quick summary of it would be great. My, my son played baseball and football and up until 12 13 he started listening to me and then by 12 or 13 he thought he had all the answers so <laughs> I would sit there at 12, 13, 14, 15 saying, Kyle, you know, you want to do this at the plate or you want to throw the ball this way or whatever else. And he'd roll his eyes like, you know, so I figured out my best way to get him to change his approach would be ask him questions. So Kyle, what do you think you did right there? What do you think you did wrong? I mean, what do you think? And I knew the answers, but it wasn't important. There's a science here. The brain cannot educate and validate at the same time. It's physically impossible. Yeah. We call it, I get it till I get it. That first I get it is when the buyer says, I get it. I fully understand what you guys do. I don't know what to do with it, but I get it. That second I get it is when the buyer goes, hold it, hold, hold. So you're telling, wait, wait, time out. And we've all been there where that happens. The question is how can we proactively induce it? It's yeah. the same way with my kids. If I tell them, I mean, my kids tell me I am a vat of useless information because I constantly spurt out some ideas, but I figured out if I want them to learn something, I've got to ask questions. Great salespeople don't have great statements. They have great questions. questions yeah. And that going from I get it to I get it, I know exactly how a buyer is going to use our stuff and make money. That's not the point. The point is, excuse me, Mary, let me ask you a question. If you had this thing up and running in the next six months, I mean, what would you be doing different? Yeah. Do it with integrity. I mean, don't try to play a trick question here. Yeah. But if Mary can go, well, let me think about that. If I had this, that step of the sale is where energy has really gotten. Yeah. And we skip that step too much because we think yeah. when the buyer says, I get it, they mean I get it. And they don't. No, you've got to get that second I get it. You do. Yeah, that awesome. transfer of ownership, well put. That transfer of ownership is really well. If you don't get that, a deal's going to go dark, south, ghost, quiet, and and. Without that transfer of ownership, that executive, I get it, nah, it's not going to work. Absolutely. And as I say, that out of all the massive amounts of value that I still continue to get out of it, that was the thing for me when I'm listening and I'm picking on it and, and working on to ask the questions, to induce that and get that there. And, and it's been a game changer. So again, if you want to learn out more about that, head over to m3learning.com, check out Skip stuff, pick up the books, and you're going to be you know well on your way to sort of making some serious moves in your sales career so skip as we wrap up here i'm ever appreciative of your uh, you know your knowledge your continued enthusiasm your drive just the little nuggets in there you know i'll listen back to this podcast two or three times myself just to, just to pick out the extra bits out there so i really appreciate the value that you put in but what i always like to do on the open mic uh, we always talk so much about um the detail and and the concepts and the things of, of our, our influences uh, and uh, the audience always used to say to me, Mike, it would be great if you could get your, you know, your influence to sort of uh, recap sort of the top three pro tips or top three summaries. So I always add these to the end now. So if people want to get started with sales or sales management, 
Um, Skip Miller's top three pro tips to sort of crush it on, on there. What would you say that would be, Skip, of the top three that they want to focus on? Uh, number one, buyers want to be led. So making sure that we follow a buy process, not a sales process. We have to include our customers, but they do want to be led. So we want to yeah. be intentional and directional. That, that's a big one. Number two, call high early and talk adult table, not kid table. Learn business acumen and say, what's, you know, what are your trains in the train station? Why are they in the train station? And give me some numbers. Yeah. So that's a big one. So without a doubt, I, when I am on a sales call, I hunt for trains and identify gaps. And I, I leave brochures behind. Yeah. And, and probably the third one, without a doubt, um, <laughs> great salespeople have great questions, but you've got to practice that. You've got to really hunt for homework and, and come up with questions. You just can't wing them on the fly. So, <laughs> I mean, you sent me a script here and I, I read at the bottom where I had to come up with the three takeaways. Yeah. So I was, you know, doing some homework on if I was in this podcast, what are those three takeaways? I came up with five and based upon the conversation today, I figured out which three. If I didn't have that, I'd be winging it. And the customers yeah. would, would know that. Yeah, so they see, through it, see straight through it, don't they? Exactly right. So those are my three takeaways, without a doubt. Absolutely brilliant, Skip. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. I think we're bang on the money coming up to uh, 10 a.m. in uh, PST time with your side. So just as I'm wrapping, thanks again, Skip. It's been an absolute pleasure, privilege, and I'm honored to uh, have spent an hour with you today or 45 minutes with you. Thank you very much indeed. It's been an absolute I enjoyed pleasure. it. It was really fun. I really appreciate it. So as a quick, as we wrap up the show, guys, um, check out Skip at m3learning.com. You can check out Skip on uh, LinkedIn, or you can do facebook.com m3learning, or you can find him on Twitter at m3learning. And we'll post all these links below the show. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've really had some knowledge and some value as I have. Um, and as always, to get in the game, boost your self-performance, go do the hustle, go make it happen, get started with m3learning, and we'll see you on next week's show. You have been listening to The Open Mic, brought to you by The Success Hub. To find out more and to get the resources we have mentioned in this podcast episode, simply visit blog.thesuccesshub.io and view the podcast section. Thanks for listening and we look forward to catching up with you in our next episode. This podcast and associated materials is published under copyright to The Success Hub. All rights reserved. No reproduction of this material is permitted.